we're going back to 1 Peter as we have been the last month and a half. And if you've got your Bible, you can open 1 Peter chapter 4. You can get on Version, which is a free app for your phone or mobile device. Highly recommendable app. Very useful. Every English version translation of the, new t- uh, of the Bible is in there that, I, that I'm aware of. So it's a good app to have. And we're, we are there today under live events. Uh, also sermon outline in the bulletin. So... Very glad that you're here with us tonight. We'll continue with our Do You Know My Name series, and uh, it's about intimacy with God. So I hope you can be back at 6 o'clock for that tonight. Well, we have been the last month and a half doing this series in 1 Peter, and the idea is is we're, we're called to be different because normal, frankly, normal isn't working. And I think that's what the Safe Conversations Workshop is about, and many of the things we do are kind of calling out what's normal in the world and clearly is not working for us as individuals, as husbands and wives, as parents, as in our community uh, or ecosystems, as, as, as Helen called it. Um, being different is a big theme in the book of First Peter, and it's a big theme uh, just in Christian life in general. And so Peter, in this book, don't be offended, but he calls us strangers. He calls us Aliens, he calls us different. He calls us weird, if you will. Uh, one of those places is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy. Okay, stop there. So holy, we talked about this. It means separate. It means called out. It means different. Just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. This word is an important word, being separate, being different. Um, Different, though, from what? What is normal? Um, Normal, in relationships, normal is at worst retaliation and revenge when somebody wrongs you. At best in that situation, normal is forgiving to a point. Partial pardon, right? Um, normal, is, normal is our self-service culture where we in, are indoctrinated from the nursery on to look out for number one. That's normal. Christ has called us out of normal. He has called us to be a holy people, a people uh, who are distinct, who are weird, who are different, who are aliens in a world where normal is not working. And so the world, the culture around us needs for us to be different as Christ has called us to be. So just so we're on the same page, we are not suggesting that different is always good, that weird is always good. I think back to when I was in graduate school, I had a friend there named Mike Ship. Uh, Mike Ship had a weird car. It was a 1981 AMC Eagle, right? If you're young enough, you probably have no idea what that is. Don't even know that AMC was a big motor company back in the day. But that's not even the weird part. His AMC Eagle, the different thing about it is it had no reverse. It could not go backwards. Now, that might be a cool slogan for your, your varsity football team or something. We don't go back. We don't have reverse. It's not very cool for a car. Trust me, you need reverse. It will help you getting out of the parking lot here in just a few minutes this morning, I'm sure. So when we went out for lunch, there was kind of a protocol. 
Mike would sit in the front seat at the, at the steering wheel and I would push him out of the spot. And then he'd put it in forward and we could, you know, put it in drive and we could start going. Um, it was kind of like, you know, kind of like launching a boat at the lake, right? You just kind of had to push out of the dock and then it was smooth sailing from there. But it was different, it was weird, and it wasn't the good kind of weird. Um, if you look up weird inventions on the internet, please don't do that right now because you'll be looking at that for the next hour and a half or two. Do that this afternoon. Um, but if you look up weird inventions on the internet, you're generally going to see not good weird. Uh, like this one, the Japanese came up with a wearable toilet paper dispenser. She has a toilet paper dispenser on her head. Now, I'm not going to debate the practicalities of that, but I, can, I would suggest that would be social suicide right there. Don't do that. Don't buy that. Don't look that up on Amazon this, this morning. Um, that's bad weird. Okay, that's not good weird. So, um, when you put your trust in Christ, let's get that off the screen. Let's get that. <laughs> go. Go away. <laughs> when you put your trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit moves into your life, and a transformation begins, making you different, making you weird making you more and more holy, the process of sanctification. We become a standout people for His glory. We become a people of distinctive love, patience, forgiveness, joy. We will be different from the culture precisely because the culture needs for the church of Jesus Christ to be different. I got a kick out of the storyline. This is a few years back, Winter Olympics, Sochi, Russia. You all remember that one? There was a storyline there, um, 2014. A, a fellow named David Wise, a 23-year-old American, won the gold medal in freestyle skiing halfpipe. So where you go up and you do all these jumps and crazy stuff. Really fun to watch. And NBC ran this headline to go with the story about David Wise winning gold. It said, David Wise's alternative lifestyle leads to Olympic gold. David Wise's alternative lifestyle leads to gold. Now, commenting on that story, uh, a, a, a journalist named Molly Hemingway wrote, so what was this weird or alternative lifestyle? Is he pangendered? Is he polygamous? Is he dwelling in a commune, eating only raw foods? What could it be? You see, Wise is married. Wise has a two-year-old daughter. Wise doesn't party. Wise is a devoted Christian. He attends church every Sunday. In fact, talked about during the Olympics his desire one day to be pastor in a church. And so the article from NBC mostly lauded Wise for his maturity in a sport that often uh, breeds immaturity. But Molly Hemingway, her comments were about the, the headline of that article. She writes... Isn't it fascinating that NBC views a man taking care of his wife and daughter as an alternative lifestyle? I'm glad David Wise won gold, but if this is any indication of media views on normalcy, our society is pretty much doomed. For his part, Wise merely agreed that his quote-unquote lifestyle is a little weird. He said, a lot of people look at me and say that I am counterculture. Well, for a long time, church-going uh, Christians 
in America operated with a basic assumption that America is a, a Christian nation. We go back to our roots. We go back to, to leaving England for religious freedom, all that kind of stuff. And, and we look at a lot of our history. We say, this is, this is, there, it's a Christian nation, and I think it's safe. I think most everyone would agree with me. We, if we were at some point, I'm not going to debate that. Um, others can take that up. But I would say, I think we could all pretty much agree, we're not now. You know, we're not now. And before we get outraged or upset about that statement, let me ask you something. Isn't Peter, in the entire book of 1 Peter, saying we're not supposed to blend in with culture? Isn't Peter saying we're supposed to be the counterculture? Um, isn't the Word of God telling us not to expect society or government to prop up our faith or promote our faith, but that we, the church, are called to be salt and light? We're called to be different. We're called to be holy so that we can help change things and influence things. First Peter chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. Let's get straight to the text here, starting in verse 7. And we'll take a pause after this first verse. Um, Peter says, the time is near when all things will end. So think clearly and control yourselves so that you will be able to pray. That's a little jarring, I think. The end is near. I read that, and I'm like, hang on a second. Peter wrote those words nearly 2,000 years ago. The end is near. That doesn't seem to compute. What's going on with that? And I think there are two concepts that can help us, two kind of aha concepts that can help us with that. The first one, spoiler alert, is uh, you're going to die pretty soon. Sorry, you are. No one in this room, uh, statistically, is, let's put it this way, statistically it's very unlikely that in a hundred years anybody in this room right now will still be alive. Okay? Um, so in terms of the scheme of history, the end is near for me. The end is near for you. But there, there's something much bigger going on. So this would be the second aha concept, and, and here it is. It is that through the gospel, God has ushered into history the final act. We are witnessing the final act of history. We are truly living in the end times. That does not mean that we know that Jesus is coming back next week or next year. Or 50 years from now. It does not mean that. It means that when Jesus lived, when he gave up his life on the cross for us, when he was raised from death to life, when he ascended to heaven to the right hand of, of God's throne, it means that it was essentially game over at that point. Game over for Satan. Game over for sin. Game over for the notion that death we'll get the last word. We know it won't. We've seen the resurrection of Jesus, the first fruits of this harvest. So the end is near. This seems like the appropriate time of year to use the football analogy. Um, think of it like a football game. The end is near. Since Jesus has already conquered Satan and sin and death, since all of that has happened, we are essentially in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter. The, the two-minute warning happened when Jesus ascended to heaven, and the kingdom of God is winning 72 to 3. All right? 
Think of it like that. The end is near. And when the clock is still running during the final two minutes, still ticking down to zero, yeah, you still have to run some plays. Yeah, you can still get beat up a little bit on the field. But the game is essentially over. We gather on Sunday mornings to high-five. We gather on Sunday mornings to sing praises of celebration. When it's 72 to 3, the winning team has begun to celebrate before the clock hits zero. If the Cowboys get up 72 to 3, you'll get to see this this afternoon. Doesn't usually happen in an NFL game. Gen generally just happens when like Michigan is playing Rutgers or something like that, all right? Um, folks are high-fiving, folks. There's a, there's a Gatorade bath. All of this stuff is happening before the clock hits zero, right? You've watched football. Um, so when Peter says the end of near, he is saying it's game over. You can see the final seconds ticking off the clock. Guys, Jesus conquered sin and death. It's over. Amen. The end is near, and that means nothing can change the fact of the gospel. The end is determined at this point. He died, was resurrected, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and Jesus personally announces in the last book of the Bible, the first chapter, Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, Don't fear! I am first, I am last, I'm alive! I died, but I came to life, and now my life is forever. See these keys in my hand? They open and lock death's doors. They open and lock hell's gates. Mic drop. Gatorade bath. Game over. The end, the end is near. And that should fill us with confidence. It should help us. As Peter said in that verse we just read a few minutes ago, it should help us to think clearly and control ourselves. Life gets hard sometimes. Even in this two-minute period at the end, it gets hard sometimes. There are mountaintops, there are valleys, there are disappointments, there are frustrations. There are, dis there are, there are betrayals sometimes. Peter says, when you're about to lose it, when... When you can't handle it anymore, Peter said, look up at the scoreboard. <laughs> look up the scoreboard and remind yourself of what the reality is and fall on your knees in adoration and thanksgiving. The end is near. God's team is winning. Now, how do we conduct ourselves? What do we do with this? How does this change things? When time's clicking out in the fourth, what do we do? When you're on the home stretch, what do you need to remember? What is most important? And of course, we're not talking about sports. We're talking about life. So let's get back to the text. Most importantly, by the way, if the Bible says that, you want to pay attention to what comes next, right? Most importantly, love each other deeply. Because love will cause many sins to be forgiven open your homes to each other without complaining each of you has received a gift to use to serve others be good servants of God's various gifts of grace 
Anyone who speaks should speak words from God. Anyone who serves should serve with the strength God gives so that in everything God will be praised through Jesus Christ. Power and glory belong to him forever and ever. Amen. So first, most important, love deeply. Write that on your outline this morning. Love deeply. Verse 8. Most importantly, love each other deeply because love will cause many sins to be forgiven. Many sins to... Whose sins? That's what I ask when I come to this text. Whose sins are we talking about here, God? You don't tell. Many sins will be forgiven. My sins, someone else's sins. And really, I think my thinking, my initial, uh, my initial idea about the text reveals how small-minded and selfish I am. Because does it matter? If sins are being forgiven, count me in. Sins are evil. Sin is bad. Sin is the plague of humanity. If sins are being washed away, count me in. Certainly, where there is deep love, there is forgiveness of sins. Because when I love you, I am willing to overlook offenses. I am willing to move on without holding on. I, 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 when I love, I let go of resentment. I let go of bitterness. Love and forgiveness, they always go hand in hand. And yes, I also believe that God's grace and forgiveness wash over me when I am a forgiving person. For with the measure I use, God will use back to me. Sermon on the Mount, homestretch living. Look, James, the brother of Jesus, compared our life here to a vapor. Here in the morning, gone by afternoon, brief, it, it appears, it vanishes. Knowing that this brief life is just a pregame warm-up for eternity, I am free to love. I am free to move on without holding, holding on to past offenses and grudges and resentments. And this is who we are as a community. It's a little bit different. A people who love deeply. A people who love beyond the surface. In a world of disposable relationships, in a world of expiration date love, we love differently. We love deeply, and that is a little bit weird. According to legendary Bible scholar and theologian Dr. Seuss, it's like this. We are all a little weird, and life is a little weird. And when we find someone whose weirdness is compatible with ours, we join up with them and fall in mutual weirdness and call it love. What I would add is we join up with them and fall in mutual weirdness and call it love, and we call it church. We call it church. Love deeply. You're on the home stretch. The end is near. You can see the finish line. You don't have time to be bitter. Amen? You don't have time to be bitter. Don't waste your, your brief time here. You don't have time to hold grudges. You can see the clock. You know time is running out. Love deeply. And the second thing here would be give liberally. Give liberally. Be a generous person. Um, he says in verses 9 and 10 from the message, Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you. By the way, anything good you have, God gave that to you. 
He expects you to use that well. I just finished reading a book that said the most underutilized resource in the kingdom is the Christian home. Um, that the practice of hospitality, the practice of this kind of generosity is an incredibly powerful tool that the church is simply not utilizing. I mean, if you're new here, um, let me just tell you, we have dozens of groups that meet throughout the week, small groups around the Metroplex in homes. Um, so we're using our homes. We have programs. We have events. Um, we talked about one this morning, right, that help our neighbors. We help our neighbors who, who need to learn how to communicate better. We help our, our neighbors who don't have enough to get by. We help our neighbors who are grieving the loss of someone. Grief share. We help our neighbors who have just gone through a divorce, divorce care. We help our neighbors. We budget for hospitality as a church. We budget to care for our neighbors here. We organize around it. But a thousand times more important than the events, programs, and ministries that we organize, a thousand times more important is the spirit of hospitality, the spirit of generosity that lives in us. You know, hospitality is love in person. Hospitality translates the vague, noble, poetic idea of love into flesh and blood reality. So love deeply, give liberally, and now serve lavishly serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Verse 10, each of you has received a gift. Each of you has received a gift to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. You have been given a gift or gifts from God to use to bless others. If you deny that, you are denying what we just read, what Scripture affirms, what the Holy Spirit tells us. Each of us has a gift. Um, gifts and talents aren't just like singing and preaching and teaching. Some have a special gift of listening, like my wife. She is an amazing listener. Um, some of you have a unique gift of compassion, an ability to touch people who are going through those really hard moments of life. Some of you are blessed financially. All those good gifts come from God. Um, you just have this gift of making money. Praise God for that. Whatever gift you have received, turn it around and use it to bless the church. Turn it around and use it to bless the kingdom of God. And I love that phrase in verse 10. God's various gifts of grace. There is not a one-size-fits-all here. There is not one kind of grace. There are various gifts of grace. What are your gifts of grace? What has God given you to use to bless others? Showing and sharing grace, is it one thing... It takes many different forms. Make sure that you are using what you have been given to build up, to serve, to encourage, to help others in the body of Christ, and yes, the world outside as well. And finally, we'll wrap up here. Lean on God relentlessly. Lean on God relentlessly. This is the home stretch. Home stretch, you're out of breath. Home stretch, you're tired. Home stretch, at moments you feel like giving up. You maybe got a little bit of a limp or something in the home stretch. And Peter says in verse 11, Do all of this with the strength and energy that God supplies. Do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Not supplied. 
Not he gave you a certain, certain amount of strength and energy when you came to the Lord and you've just about depleted it. Better be careful. Better not use it. No. He's supplying it. Every day he's pouring more into you. Every day you have more abundance because he is supplying. He is sponsoring your life and giving you everything that you need to live this generous, loving lifestyle. One reason that we are weird, one reason that we are different, is that we have these resources, these warehouses of, of strength and, and this depth that comes from God, and it is amazing, and we praise God for that. And we glorify Him. We glorify Him. When we choose to live out of that abundance instead of out of the scarcity of fallen human nature. So guys, the clock is winding down. The celebration has already started to break out on the sidelines. Here's a prayer that we're about to offer as we as we run that final stretch. This is from a song by Hillsong called Oceans. The prayer is this, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. I will call upon your name. Keep my eyes above the waves. My soul will rest in your embrace. I am yours, and you are mine. I am yours, and you are mine. Is that true of you? Have you called out to Jesus? Have you trusted in His holy name? We would love to help you with that this morning. Talk about that decision. Talk about next steps for that decision. We'd love to pray with you. Whatever it is you need to do to respond to God's invitation, to God's love. We would invite you to do that as we stand together. And